0: I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome. Whether you're watching this on YouTube or listening on the podcast, I want to say thank you for tuning in to our second half of the 2023 year podcasters roundtable. We put this production together it was quarterly in 2023 Mike Casey my esteemed uh, moderator and co-producer of this series and I decided to just do to try it as a half uh year biannual so this is the second of this year I think it's our seventh or eighth uh, overall and what a lineup do you ever have the feeling that you are uh, just lucky to be in the room? Uh, I live by the saying, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Well, I'm definitely in the right room today, and so are you, because I felt incredibly humbled by the cast of characters, podcasters that I genuinely respect, who shared the stage today. In this year's second half, 2023, Podcasters Roundtable, we're joined by Dana Perkins of Bloomberg NEF. She's the host of the Switched On podcast also my good friend bill nussie from freeing energy podcast also a vc at engage over in atlanta we got christopher caldwell from conversations on climate also the ceo of united renewables joining us from ireland we have marie burquist from nelnet renewables that have the what's up in solar podcast and oh let's see right david Roberts. David Roberts from Volts joined us a little earlier in the day for him in the Pacific time arena. It was great to be surrounded by such incredible folks. And of course, moderated by Mike Casey, the founder and CEO of TigerCom and the host of the Scaling Clean podcast. Of course, I'm the host of the Suncast podcast. If you are not familiar, if you're joining because someone else referred you over to check this out, thank you so much for being here i promise that the time you invest which is of course the only non-renewable resource you've got is well placed we dig into not just the top three trends but many other geopolitical and economic conversations around what we are experiencing as podcasters but also as industry thought leaders in our or their own right today's guests on the roundtable Really dig into things like what the results are from COP28. How should we think about the connection between authoritarian regimes uh, like that of, uh, we'll say regimes, but environments like that recently in the Netherlands and the nexus of or disconnect with climate action. We get into predictions for next year, favorite topics, and more on this year's second half podcasters roundtable it doesn't disappoint so i won't make you wait any further if you have a chance please do check out the more than 650 episodes in our back catalog on the suncast podcast where we dig into the founders and executives on the front lines of the clean energy transition each and every week for now let's get ready to tune up your skills solar warrior climate champion as we dig into another fascinating episode here on suncast hello
1: clean techers welcome back to another episode of the clean tech podcasters roundtable we've been doing these for almost two years now and they rarely disappoint um i think it's because the podcasters have as part of their jobs they go really deep onto people ideas companies and trends and you know the episodes that they accumulate really form a a really good mirror of who we are as a sector and you know it's real when we get to bring them together so they can match notes so um they're also pretty fun to host except for Nico Johnson. But today we've got a mix of all the new faces. We're straddling um, eight hour time differences. So I'm going to thank everybody for, com- for coming in early or staying late. And uh, I'm going to ask our panelists to introduce themselves and in their respective shows. Dana, you can go first.
2: All
3: right. Uh, Dana Perkins, Bloomberg NAFs switched on. Uh, we Talk about sustainability, energy transition, and agriculture and everything in between. And I'm the one who, it's nighttime, so I'm dialing in from London.
1: All right. Well, we interrupt this pity party, you bring you another Londoner, Chris Caldwell. Welcome (laughs) for the first time.
4: Thanks very much, Mike. Absolutely delighted to be here. Yeah, Chris Caldwell, uh, Conversations on Time is the podcast. Do um, conversations with uh, clean tech entrepreneurs and uh, leading academics. All right. We're going to move. Fantastic privilege.
1: We're going, to move, uh, we're going to move westward across the globe. Bill Nussie, Atlanta. Bill Nussie here,
5: a freeing energy podcast and a book called Free Energy. And by day, I am an investor, uh, active clean tech investor. Uh, so super excited to be here.
0: And uh, thanks for having me.
1: All right, Nico Johnson.
0: My name is Nico Johnson from the Suncast podcast. Been doing that for about eight years. And I've been in the renewable sector, mostly solar and storage, since 2006. And uh, on Suncast, we bring listeners, the clean tech, we call it the the leaders on the front lines of the clean tech and clean energy transition. So every week, I interview insightful folks, including folks like Chris Caldwell and Bill Nussi, and hopefully David Roberts and Dana Perkins. And uh, and you, Mike Casey, we get get interesting folks on Marie has been on the on the platform. We like to talk to the interesting people who actually know what's happening on uh, on the front lines of the transition.
1: All right. Chicago, Marie, what's going on? Hey, everybody.
6: Excited to be here. I'm Marie Berkowitz, co-host of the Watts Up podcast. by know that renewable energy. Uh, we talk with every everyone about everything, sustainability and renewable energy. Very excited to be here.
1: And hailing from the West Coast, none other than David Roberts with the Volts. And we got a screen frozen on David. All right. Well, folks, we're going um, to kick this off by just going around Robin here. So I want to know the three biggest trends from this year that you've seen and what made them big. All right. Dana, we're going to start with you.
3: It's kind of hard because it's like, how long do I have? Um, but I'll try and be fast since everybody ha- since everybody gets some time. Um, but a uh, present trend across all of our shows. Now, first of all, the concept of our shows is that we go deep on one specific topic. And we typically invite a BNF analyst to come on and talk about a piece of their research. So finding a thread across everything is grids. Um, in, in the show we did with my colleague Sangeet. He ended up saying that we need about $1 of grid investment for every $1 of renewable energy installations. And it's causing a massive bottleneck in various parts of the world, but definitely present in the U.S. And you see this with wind installations. My colleague, Jenny Chase, who's our solar analyst, she even said on her show that was entirely about solar modules that if you go anywhere in the world and you say, yeah, grids really pose a real problem here, you're probably right. Uh, The other thing that was, so the second one that was a real theme for this year is that China is creating a lot of supply, both for solar and for batteries. And we're seeing this in a number of different ways. But, you know, in in China, we actually saw the uh, typical monofacial modules on the solar side popping as low as, you know, 12 12, uh, cents per watt, that was in November, and that has, you know, China's also building mega bases, which are these bigger PV installations than anywhere else in the world. And we've also seen in China more solar installed than the entire world did combined last year. So this year, China did more than everybody did last year. And then we're seeing a very similar story out of batteries in that the prices are going down. Battery prices fell by 14% versus 2022. So... This is really, um, you're you're just seeing so much more supply come online. And then I think the last thing that really highlighted, which is less of a rosy story, is that interest rates were a theme. Interest rates caused a lot of difficulty for a lot of different industries. But wind is a perfect example. And in the UK and the US in particular, with project cancellations and auctions that flopped, interest rates are a real issue that we're going to need to
1: figure out. All right, let's do uh, Bill, then Marie, then David. Bill, your big three for 2023?
5: Well, the the big thing for, the number one thing uh, for me is the realization the IRA is starting to move. It's a giant boulder. They created the boulder last year and and we're starting to see it actually make movements. We're starting to see it turn and affect markets in a major way. My perspective uh, is all around startups. So I look at where startups are starting to lean in. and We're seeing a lot of uh, startups coming at, the IRA from different angles, from projects to uh, tax credit ratings. So I think IRA is, is from my point of view, pretty much affecting everything. And I could do three th- three big things on it. But I agree with data on grids, uh, interconnection queues. It's just nuts. Uh, you know, we, we work with a lot of utilities and they feel it. Uh, but it's one of these almost intractably hard problems to solve because, by the way, you're changing the four tires on the bus and the airplane, the wings in the airplane while they're flying, metaphorically, it's just incredibly difficult. Uh, and the last is interesting, very specific to startups and corporates, which is the world we work in, but carbon accounting, which got more funding, over a billion dollars worth of funding, and there's a lot of really big name companies, but we're, and everyone rushed to it, especially because the SEC is, uh, is getting closer and closer to putting out some rules and regulations which you have to disclose. Um, But now in in 2023, I'm actually seeing companies, large companies start to structure the way they think and operate around carbon. It's not just a reaction and what bucket do I throw this in, but how do I structure my organization so that we're aware and making conscious decisions uh, around how we impact the world in our supply chains particularly, but of course then
0: energy consumption and buildings and things that are more direct. Hey, if you're looking for a way to maximize the ROI for your next utility project, I would like to point you to SunGrow's new SG4400 modular inverter. This new innovative solution will reduce capital and operating expenses because it arrives already on a skid with a step-up transformer. It's built using four 1100KW modules so that if one of them fails, well, the other three keep powering right on through as the DC and AC protection are completely separate between the modules. You can learn more about this fantastic new product and more at MySuncast.com forward slash SunGrow.
1: All right, Marie, big three in 23. What are they? 2023,
6: key trend are advanced energy storage, as uh, Dana mentioned. Um, definitely a lot more players in the market. Secondly, on the EPC side of things, at least, we saw a surge of communities interested, organizations interested, and in prospects of adopting renewable energy. So very similar to what Bill was saying. And then finally, floating solar has, has rapidly gaining traction. Um, we're hearing about it and getting you know, people interested in it, in it all the time. And ultimately, I think this was a year of of having that historical understanding of the capabilities of what our current re- renewable resources can do, notably at scale, um, and then finding solutions to optimize. So you don't have enough land, let's put it in the water. You don't have, um, you know, thor- uh, uh, solar power at night. Let's put it on a on a storage solution. So.
1: All right, David.
2: In an effort to pick stuff that other people aren't going to pick, um, my first would be uh, thermal batteries. Uh, I've been um, you know, sort of entranced by this category for a while now, but it's really breaking out this year. There's a lot of innovation in uh, large-scale thermal batteries for decarbonizing industry. There's also a lot of innovation happening in small-scale thermal batteries for residential, really just heat. Storing heat is becoming... Uh, uh, a big deal. And I think um, just today, actually, uh, the Biden administration released its guidance for the 45X tax credit, and it is going to include thermal batteries, which is a very, very, very big deal and is going to crack that category open in a huge, huge way uh, next year. So thermal batteries are are hot, pardon the pun. Uh, my second is uh, digging, drilling, drilling, uh, Lots of exciting things happening in geothermal. You know, I think everybody tracked uh, the big news around Furbo. Furbo's got a plant that's up and running now, Advanced Geothermal. There's a couple of enhanced geothermal companies that are moving ahead. And there's a lot of cool stuff happening in ground source heat pumps, uh, having to do with clever new drills. Uh, In that case, uh, often smaller drills that can fit in smaller spaces. So opening up ground source heat pumps to new uh, audiences. So drilling in general, basically uh, porting over um, uh, cleverness from the oil and gas sector and, and putting it to good use in the renewable sector, I think is a big trend. Um, I was tempted for my third one to, to do the, the um, ongoing saga of renewable energy, proclaiming a renaissance and then stepping on a bunch of rigs uh, and, um, I, which I could have cited as a trend in any of the previous 20 years uh, but those two mean. So uh, I thought for my third one, I, I think um, there's a couple of state regulators, PUCs, uh, state electricity regulators that I think are starting to really get in the game and be interesting and innovative and a little bit sort of um, more ambitious than that. Typically uh, conservative position uh, elicits. There's a lot of cool stuff going on in Connecticut. A lot of cool stuff going on in Massachusetts. Huge, really like really historic order out of the Massachusetts um, EU a couple of days ago. So so electricity regulators not being boring anymore, getting in the game. I think is uh, it, it, I'm going to have several of those on my pod uh, in the coming year.
1: Chris, you're going gonna to go next, but just I want you to note two things. First, David imposed upon himself a standard that we did not oppose, which is originality. And second, <laughs> he has he has blah, blah, blah in the background. And I don't know if those two <laughs> things go together or not, but I'm just noting that. So you don't have to be original. You can just vote for all the Perkins stuff and then you're fine if you want. But go ahead. Fair enough. Fair enough. No, no, actually, i
4: I've, I've been listening to them all, and I've been going, oh, come on, please don't, please don't, please don't. And actually, on my three, none of my three have come up as so a result. Yeah. <clears throat> but I think this was one that I, I, I did kind of struggle with because uh, climate conversations have been broadening out massively over this last year. And it, that is great to see. So, like, we've issues like land use, food systems, uh, justice, and dishes, right, to really become make, become mainstream, and that's really important because we need to solve them all together. But my three trends that, that I came out with were, first off, AI, because I'm a nerd. And um, second off, the, and I'm sure, sure, Dana will, uh, will, will appreciate this one. The EU's cross-border carbon charge, because I'm a policy wonk and it's fantastic. Uh, and the, and the third is biodiversity, because I'm a human being and it is important. So, um. So this, the, the best example of, of things going mainstream this year was actually was, was, I think biodiversity. So like, um, COP 15 in Montreal was, was Paris, you know, it was, it was the, it was the Paris for, for biodiversity. It created that wonderful overarching framework, the, the 30, 30, 30 by 30, uh, which could protecting 30% of land and sea by 2030. And that's a massive, massive game changer. We're at the sixth mass extinction. <laughs> and, and, uh, but if we get to net zero, but kill the rest of the planets, well, you know, really, what's, what, what's the point? So, this is like, it is really, really important stuff. Uh, so, moving on to AI. AI is the second trend, which I'm really surprised that people haven't talked about already. Um, it's because it, it undeniably swept the world since ChatGPT came, came across over, over the last year. I've written about it a bit earlier, uh, a bit um, elsewhere, um, and my kind of... My, my kind of really thesis on it is it's a mirror that just reflects back whatever society tells it to so if we if we turn it towards solving the climate problem it'll it'll be a great help it'll be it'll be a tool that will revolutionize energy efficiency and innovation but if we turn it and most of the money right now is is being funded from the other side from fossil fuels and it's looking more likely that it will be the new fracking yeah, uh, so that it'll be kind of reviving on economic oil exploration and so you know, that's that 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 type of thing. It's something we need to be paying very close attention to, but that's you know big 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 thing for the yeah. year. And you know, it's we've also got the emissions of data centers to be too worrying about. And uh, David did a really good shout out, really good podcast podcast on that. So this this whole whole, um, whole issue that's uh, well worth listening to. Um third, the um EU cross border uh, carbon charge. Now this is going to be a, a, like a controversial statement. Like, I read, does get a lot of attention, but let's be honest, Bill. <laughs> it's 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 a classic American omnibus. Um, like, it's a, it's a laundry list of individual measures for different uh, for di- for different uh, constituencies. It isn't really a systemic framework, but the EU border b- border scheme and like little little you know, European flag here uh, waving. It is a change on a systemic level. Like, it'll it forces an end to cl- carbon li- uh, leakage uh, to exported emissions. And it equates to like a real closed loop climate framework within the EU. And it also force trading partners to go and go and do the same thing. Now, I hope it's the first first of a domino effect that that there's other blocks gonna step in there. But yeah, that's my my, my third theme. And I think it's fundamentally it could really be a game changer in this in this market.
1: David, do you notice that the that the foreigners come on and criticize that they actually have temer, <laughs> the audacity to assert that the United States Congress did not operate coherently and produce, produce a policy. I, I'm offended. Not, I'm no gonna... plan.
2: How dare you, sir? <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right. Nico Johnson, we left you for last. So you felt pressure to be succinct. All right. Fantastic. Fill my, fill well, my friend.
0: Fa- following Christopher Caldwell, it's easy to be succinct because he covers it so thoroughly. Uh, my, my three trends that I've been following, uh, Chris definitely took, uh, the wind out of AI sales. Thanks for that. Thanks for that. Um, So I I won't, I won't use it. Um, but one of our top episodes on Suncast this year was an extremely charismatic Dan French, uh, who has several among his many uh, accolades is the solar farm summit. And I learned a ton about a market that candidly prior to 2023, I didn't really consider a category, which is agrivoltaics. And it's mm. one that in Europe is very seriously considered as a category, especially uh, in France. And there are a lot of entrants into the U.S. market as we see, you know, companies like Novato is coming out with terrain following trackers because we simply don't have easy square uh, postage stamp plots to put solar on anymore. Agrivoltaics is going to become a, uh, a more commonly used term. I've seen it. In more than a handful of interviews, folks who are taking the term and the 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 reality and opportunity of takes very seriously, uh, you know, reputable companies like Silicon Ranch who talk a lot about the way they integrate into the terrain. Lightsource BP is another, um, and that brings me to point number two, which Mike and uh, you guys talk about this a lot um, from Tigercom, which is the fight for your backyard. Um, I think that one of the understated trends happening right now is in our backyard companies focusing on, um, uh, ways to expand beyond, uh, the, the clear, easy places to put solar in the Midwest are running into the millions, probably hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, being poured into local economies to confuse our neighbors about whether or not renewable energy is real, uh, whether it's reliable and whether it is, uh, good enough for our backyards. Um, I think that you guys did an an, an incredible job, Mike, on covering community engagement opportunities for developers. And I I see that as a trend that as a communicator, I'm continually saying to folks, we are not doing a good enough job on the real front lines, which is in each of our communities to ensure that folks aren't confused by the the, uh, propaganda. That's being foisted by I'll call it, the other side of uh, of the energy sector, and then the third bill mentioned the IRA. <clears throat> as far as I can tell, the um, the the most I feel like it's the most under-discussed trend of the IRA is the transferable tax credit, um, the ability to expand who can benefit from the tax credit and how it can be transferred while it's still desperately trying to be understood opens up the market to what is estimated to be 50 billion a year in clean energy Mm -hmm. tax incentive equity. Um, And it's not a one size fits all kind of transaction world, but um, an interview I did with Billy Lee, who's been in the game for a long time, created some of the earliest uh, equity financings for Sun Edison and and several others um, has a company called reunion building a platform to try and broker this. And they're not the only ones, um, but he estimates that it's a, trillion dollar market. And the great thing is that it does open up who can invest in renewables and how quickly we can scale beyond just simply solar. I mean, the cool thing about the tax credit is it applies to all kinds of different asset and infrastructure classes.
1: All right. We're going to do a second round, Robin, but man, we're 23 minutes into this hour. I tell you, this thing flies fast for me. It's really fun to listen to your all answers. So uh, on a scale of one to five, one being stuck in neutral, five being a quick pace. How is the energy transition going in your view? So give me a number and 30 seconds of explanation. All right, Bill Nussie, one to five, 30 seconds and why?
5: Uh, The big energy is moving at a three, smaller energy, which I'm passionate about is probably three and a half. Not nearly as fast as it should, but it's not also nearly, it's not close to being as bad as I was worried about
1: five years ago. (laughs) All right, Marie, one to five and why?
6: Yeah, I mean, the industry has not lost its tenacity. Uh, absolutely bank on that. Um, I think there are a lot of expectations and pressures that this transition can happen at a much more rapid pace. But let's all think about work in our daily lives as needers. As um, how long does it take to get a policy or process pushed push through? And now think through 10 times, 50 times, 1,000 times X, trying to get that as, as a new normal for everyone. Um, we're gaining momentum, gaining policies, gaining backing from naysayers. So I'm going to give us the neutral rating of three, but I think Nico made a very good point that can't be lost is we're not doing enough on the front lines, um, to clarify communication. And so I give that,
1: uh, a two. All right, Nico, go ahead. 30 seconds.
0: I think it's a two and a half. Uh, I'm, I've been in this industry for almost 20 years. I'm actually really disappointed with what's happening right now in the residential sector um, and how it's being whipsawed by uh, interest. the interest market. Um, it's, it's not only throttling, it's, it's uh, got, a, got the residential sector in a chokehold. So it really depends on who you ask. They'd probably say it's a one. Uh, <laughs> uh, demand is at an all-time low right now. Um, and then I think um, outside of if we just look at solar other technologies, especially those technologies that are more aligned with how the oil and gas sector uh, transition, their infrastructure it's probably moving it closer to, like Bill said, a three, three and a half. Um, and I'm optimistic with, uh, with the latest COP news that it might accelerate a little bit more to a three and a half or four.
1: All right. Spoken like someone who does not lie, uh, not live on an island nation. All right. Chris <laughs> Caldwell,
0: one to five. Yeah.
4: Yeah, so I will go – I'll also break it down, if I may. Um, if we we're talking about clean energy transition, on the financing and investment, taking a global, global view of this, probably a three, like we've seen the IA report, seen Record Solar, seen like the 180 China's doing, so so fantastic. There, we're, we're, we're probably at a three. But if transition is what we're focusing in on, which means emissions, well, we're at a minus number because emissions keep keep on going up. And that's, that's the real heart of the problem. We need to accelerate that. We're not going to accelerate it organically, so we need to have policy. Um, we're 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 halfway down down a lift down, down so we've been dropped halfway down an escalator that's 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 going up, it's going down, and we're trying to run up that lift and we're going very, very slowly up up there and we're falling back. We need to pick up the pace dramatically. So on that zero, so I guess if you one and a half would be the average between those days.
1: And showing my multicultural chops for our American listeners. Lift means elevator over here. Just <laughs> wanted you to know that. All right, Mr. Uh, Roberts, one to five. And why? Uh, I don't know. I guess I would say
2: um, that one thing we've all discovered, those of us who've been following this for a while now, is that um, to Marie's point, this is a big a big tanker. Everybody's throwing all these. Mixed analogies. out. We should have coordinated our analogies before we started. It, it's a very big, uh, it's big. It's got a lot of momentum. So, what I hear all around me is engines revving. Like Ira is the engine revving. Um, um, all all this research happening in labs, these first of a kind projects, all these young people flooding into the 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 industry, which is to me a hugely um, heartening trend. Like all that is engines revving, and that's going to translate to speed. At some point but it's just a very 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 big politics and society are slow slower than we all thought slower than we'd all like so um it's like the engines whining now and the whole big machine is sluggishly moving into motion so i don't know how all that averages out i'm going to average out to a boring three but i but but i think we're um we're real close to all that engine revving, translating into motion in the next few years, I think. There's a lot of positive signs.
3: All right, Dana. Last but not least. I'm giving it a two, and that's because I'm using the global stock take as a proxy for why I'm giving it a two. Uh, The planet is currently on track for anywhere between 2.1 to 2.8 degrees of warming, and that's down from four degrees before the adoption of the Paris Agreement, But pretty far off of the 1.5 to 2 degree target that was established back in 2015. So we actually do a G20 policy scoreboard headed into COP and then at the end of COP. And we give 10 key areas, a scale of 1 to 10. This one got a 4. So on a scale of 1 to 5, that translates to a 2. And I think we should use emissions as the proxy for success.
1: All right. I like it. I'm going to because you're talking cop and I'm Dana, Yeah, I know you just came back. I'm really interested in hearing your thoughts. I'm going to skip the third question and go to the cop. So can I show show of hands who has actually been to a cop? All right, Dana, you just came back from the latest. Um, I was at the first three. It was like watching paint dry. Uh, I don't know why anybody goes to them except the people who weren't negotiating the treaties and people who work for ExxonMobil. But um, hey, you went. What'd you see and what's what's the Dana Perkins take on this cop and what it did?
3: So this was not watching paint dry. This was the largest ever number of people that have convened on a cop. And of course there were the people who are. Were- involved in the actual negotiations from a government standpoint, which are critically important, I was not one of those people. Uh, It was the convening of the other parts of the industries that we cover and the people that we know that I actually found really inspiring. And I must say, going into it, I was a complete skeptic looking around going, oh, this is gigantic and this can't possibly be good for emissions. And certainly this is um, a bit of a zoo. But actually, there were so many very useful conversations on very specific issues you know, it, it's the conversations that take place while traveling in in between the different zones that I found really, really useful. I was there for over a week. I'm exhausted. I think I'm still catching up on sleep um, because there were things that took place invariably in the Expo 2020, but then also all over Dubai, which is massive. There were travel times of an hour and a half sometimes from one wow. thing to the next, um, but it there was a lot of energy and there were a lot of things that I think they did there. Um, The blue zone invariably focused really in on the different pavilions and the countries. And there was a lot of knowledge exchange. So teaching and learning, I feel like I did equal parts teaching and learning in that space. But then in the green zone, I actually saw a, a fashion show one of the evenings, which was all sustainable fabrics. And there was a real attempt to make the things that we're talking about well, first of all, bring them to life in a way that was interesting and engaging and to feature solutions. I actually saw uh, Biochar for the first time. I've talked to a lot of people about Biochar, but I've actually never seen them, by the way. They're about the size of a a rabbit poop. They're tiny little pellets. Um, So it was, that was really interesting in terms of overall cop i think we can all have an opinion on what we think um, happened and the results and whether or not we think those were good or bad but i personally think that you know cop 28 ending with an agreement to transition away from fossil fuels is unprecedented that's an important part of us making progress on emissions. Um, and I also think the fact that they talked about loss and damage at the very beginning uh, was something that universally people said was a really good thing to bring up and to, you know, almost get out of the way at the beginning that's really important that they made progress on that item very early on in the conversation so that they could spend the rest of the time
1: on these other issues. So if I was going to be like the cop chair, I would gavel down the conversation right now and not let anybody else talk, but I'm not going to do that because, I'm really interested in the verdict, David. Do you? What's your take? I'm I'm seeing headlines and media takes over here that are almost diametrically opposed in their in their verdict on this thing. What do you think? I I,
2: uh, <laughs> I try not to be too cynical, but I I, I generally think uh, international agreements are the 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 steam not the coal, uh, for our locomotive, m- meaning they're not driving things. No one is, I don't think any country is doing anything because they signed an international agreement to do it. I think international agreements are more or less a sign of where national politics has already moved. So I, you know, I think it's a mistake to, to view these cops as, as, uh, a- a causal agents, but I do think they're Very interesting signs of where everybody is, and I think there are some good signs and bad signs, as Dana said. I think, but uh, but I think um, the fact that the words fossil fuels are finally in it, you you know, uh, shows that national politics are finally starting to peek around that corner a little bit, finally starting to really think about uh, what we're involved in and (laughs) what what all this has really meant. And so, you know, I'll I'll call that positive.
1: We're gonna we're gonna transition. Not gonna phase out. We're gonna transition. Just yeah. one
2: about your reach. Only there. the unabated kind, though. <laughs> uh, <of
1: course. laughs> uh, anybody else have a thought on COP? We can go on, but I just, anybody else uh, making sense of these headlines? Chris, any, uh, yeah, any, yeah. Yes. Do you get a verdict there?
4: Yeah. yeah, I'll pitch in. And so we, uh, can I started out with a feeling of kind, of kind of irrational hope that I thought, well, because of the mm-hmm. summer we had, we're going we're gonna to make progress. We have to make progress because like, the, world's, the world is telling us we need to make progress. Then the global stock came out, so there was a huge amount of kind of despair and you know, oh my god, that's where we're done. Then the outrage came, and I'm really sure we all know where the outrage came from: it the BBC reports about uh, the back, the back uh, backstage uh, backpass deals, um, the denial of science from uh, from from uh, from the chair, um, then oh, then the, the the OPEC letter, um, which seemed a little bit desperate but it's, it, we had this feeling of, well, my goodness, we're, we're going to be you know, crushed by all of this. We're going to go backwards. But then ultimately, optimism came because we had something that was the minimal viable um, thing that you could accept. And that has to be seen as a win in all of that context. <laughs> it has to be seen as a win. It's So I personally, I'm, I'm feeling much better than I thought I would the day before COP ended.
1: All right. Well, I think... Um... I think the tale of the clean energy transition is dwindling time gathering momentum. And I don't know, uh, after 28 years, we're finally getting around to saying fossil fuels needs to be <laughs> transitioned. Uh, best time to plant planted a tree was 20 years ago. Next best time is today. So we're planting a tree. All right, let me go back just quick round robin. What is the most thought-provoking company, person or topic that's come on your show in the last six months? And what made it so interesting? Bill Nasi. You
5: know, the most interesting podcast that for me has been Vecta, which is a startup out of San Diego. So all about um, uh, helping organi- uh, commercial, small industrial companies uh, put up solar batteries and they do gensets. So they're sort of, sort of not super hyper ideological about it, but basically solving business problems with local energy. It's the first company I've seen that actually unle- unleashes that potential. So that's my most inspiring company so far. Uh, I guess my second one just to mention is a company called Optera. Out of uh, dent out of uh, Colorado, that's cracking the code in Scope Three emissions. So those two folks have taking something everyone knows about, everyone says is an issue, and they're actually creating multi million dollar rocket ship businesses uh, doing what everyone's been talking about for five years.
1: So Bill, by sneaking in a second one, you know you've enc- encouraged Nico to go to four, and that's going to screw up my whole my whole moderation. I literally have four. Why, why? Why do you hate me, Bill? Why do you hate me? For a like,
5: long list of reasons, uh, and mostly your I've jacket. But it goes, we can go deeper. Perkins,
1: told, Perkins said the jacket went rocked. Get out of I, here. All right. I'm intimidated,
5: Mike. I'm intimidated. Your weakness quest, that I'm
1: so intimidated. BirdQuest, your best episode and why?
6: Yeah, I'm, uh, as a lot of you know, coming from the construction side of things, EPC side developer, and frequent question, discussion point, That we get is renewables are amazing, great, uh, but far from a closed loop system when it comes to waste. Um, And when you talk about waste management, when you talk with waste management companies, there's a selective um, nature about what we can and can't recycle and reuse. uh, And a lot of it ends up in the landfill despite our best efforts. Um, And so we had a few very interesting conversations with companies that provide recycling for sites and the reselling of resources um, of things that, that you wouldn't normally expect. So we're talking about small and large, metal, wire, plastic, hazardous waste, um, materials, glass. Um, and these organizations are finding places to, to take these things and, and put them to, to use and, and revive them.
1: All right, Dana, you're next. I'm just going to don't take David's because David's going to go thermal storage or digging. Those are gonna be Uh, wrong. 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 All right. But you still go first because I will give a short answer. You'll be a wild card.
3: All right, fine. I'm gonna give a short answer and the Americans are gonna like it. We did a show about ERCOT and we talked a bit about how Bitcoin is putting additional strain on the grid, but also how you know different servers can be a source of flexible capacity. But honestly, anything about ERCOT I find really fascinating because it is this grid where you can take lessons from it. And you can say, oh, well, what's working well or what's working less well. And I think next year we're going to have really interesting things to learn around power price cannibalization. We already have a lot of interesting things to learn about shortening the period of time to get wind farms online. So the show about ERCOT.
0: In a world where lots of solar technology providers seem to blend together and have little differentiation, it truly is necessary that you are able to dig deeper, get more resources and tools, and have more breadth of opportunity to learn and share with your core partners. Trina Solar is leaning in to the many requests for the Trina Hub, the new global partner portal dedicated to giving partner training courses and certifications as well as a full asset library of pre-built and co-branded marketing resources for channel support. I'd like to encourage you to try Trina Hub for yourself, see how it helps grow your solar business and develop or enhance your digital marketing ecosystem. Learn more and sign up today at mysuncast.com forward slash Trina. Hey friends, I have a proposition for you. Instead of freezing your tail off like I am here in North Carolina, why don't you jump on a plane Come to San Diego, January 17th to 19th, and hang out with us at InterSolar, InterSolar North America and Energy Storage North America. As you're probably aware, one of the premier U.S.-based trade show and conferences focused on solar, energy storage, and EV charging infrastructure. Suncast listeners can get free access to the expo hall by using the code SUNCAST at intersolar.us. That code will also get you 20% off your conference pass to learn connect and conduct business with the most innovative companies in the solar and energy storage business go to intersolar.us use the code suncast and hey don't forget to stick around all the way through friday because yours truly may be on stage at the solar games come check it out see you in san diego
1: All right, Mr. Roberts, uh, subject man of mystery, what is the best episode you've had in the last six months and why?
2: Yeah, I don't want to say best because I love all my babies equally, but probably the one I was most personally uh, interested in and invested in is with um, Astrid Atkinson, who runs a company called Camu, uh, about grid architecture, basically, the, the, the architecture of the grid, the, way the, the basic structural way it works, which, as we all know by now, is very top-down, and we're moving into a world where there's tons and tons of distributed energy uh, devices out on the grid edge that need to be coordinated in a coherent way, which right now we're doing with kluge after kluge and and baling wire and duct tape, and, and it was nice to sit down and think systematically about how you would construct a grid from the ground up and, and, and Camus Energy, what's really fun about this is I wrote a big article about this in Vox in 2018, one of the, my favorite things I've ever written with really some really great illustrations. Astrid saw that article, and that's part of what got her into this. And so she's now started a company that's doing, trying to take hmm. steps in that direction, which just begins by identifying all the distributed energy <laughs> devices on the edge of the grid, which seems, y- y- you know what I mean? Like everybody's talking about virtual power plants mm-hmm. and all this stuff with with coordinated distributed energy. But as she said, it's like talking about email before you've invented, um, you know, uh, I uh, before you've uh, invented protocols, the protocols that identify email boxes, the inboxes, you know what I mean? So we have to start by, knowing what's out there. And she's doing that work in a very concrete way. So it's super thrilling to see this sort of um, this new grid architecture just taking shape.
1: Bill, I know you like little, I know you're in the land of the micro and I just think it's kind of cool. I think it's good that Bloomberg is listening to a vault's podcast, talk about an episode that they wrote up a few years ago that inspired some of our companies so they could cover in their podcast. I think it's like a life imitating art here thing. And I think Bloomberg could learn from this. This is kind of like a very it's a virtuous cycle of content. I think it's it's intriguing. All right. Chris, I'm gonna go have Nico next because that'll pressure him to not go to four, just maybe due to one, because he doesn't want to be rude to our new our first time guest. All right, note, Mr. Johnson.
0: Noted stin- stink eye on you. Noted. And I'll note that uh when Christopher and I finish the interview on his show, which I hope will publish sometime before twenty twenty eight. Uh, he said, (laughs) he said I was the longest interview he'd ever done. So (laughs) go figure,
1: Uh, for two and a half hours. Hurry up, (laughs) Senator Johnson. Hurry up. Stop
0: filibustering. So if I think about the most interesting interview, I mean, I've done a lot of interviews. It is a bit like trying to choose your favorite child. The thing that stands out to me as I look back over at least the last six months is an interview I did with Robert Bicconi of energy vault. Um, for a few reasons. One is that energy vault is a controversial company uh, by a controversial founder and Bill Gross. And um, two, the very idea of Energy Vault is itself really rethinking the number one thing we all have agreed for years is going to help us get to a higher than 50% penetration of renewables on the grid, which is energy storage. And um, when, when Robert started talking about the way that they originally ideated around what Energy Vault could become, he looked at how hydrogen, in particular pumped hydrogen, or hydrogen, not hydro, pumped hydro works and it's gravity based. So if you aren't familiar, Energy Vault has this EcoBrick uh, mod- modular product, but I really was inspired by the, you know, Bill Gross from Idealab is one of the, you know, this was a business that was spawned from Idealab. They've done over 150 companies. Bill Gross said that this is one of the top three companies uh, he's ever created. He's like one of the three companies he's most proud of. Um, I, I also interviewed another company, Heliogen, that similarly inspired me. But I'll stick with Energy Vault for this one. The, and the reason is because in the interview with, uh, with Robert Picconi, I was extremely impressed and inspired by the way that he architected a career that ultimately led to creating this company, Energy Vault, which in many ways is what we try to unpack and, un, and, and look inside of at Suncast. And um, he is an inspiring entrepreneur, uh, and has really looked at not just how the EcoBricks com- compile a way to reengineer using gravity, but effectively Energy Vault isn't a gravity storage company; it's a software company, as evidenced by and one of the reasons they have controversy. One of their biggest first projects is a PG and E project deploying lithium batteries, um, but using their software. And so I think it's interesting for uh, entrepreneurs like Robert and his team to really stick their neck out, having put their their fame and their and their fortune based on one thing to say, well, since that is only in the initial stages and we are able to deploy the software, we're going to lean heavy into our software. And I think that software, and as we talk, we'll probably talk about again AI, is where the future of this industry is going to really rapidly evolve. And for that reason, I'm inspired by companies like Energy Vault because they don't rest on the one idea. They're able to pivot around that idea and see where the market thinks that they offer value rather than continually trying to force what they initially thought was their valuable proposition,
1: Chris. See, I DM'd you that he could just do one, and he did it. I'm so pr- I'm <laughs> I'm proud of him. All right, yeah,
4: yeah. You you've, you should be proud of him, but he did take about ten minutes to answer that one. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm glad you said that, not me. All right, Mr. Caldwell, your Fair top enough. episode and why? Yep, cool. So I am gonna go gonna go down more towards
4: rather than the the the, the company or person. I'm gonna go gonna go for the topic. So I am I. Again, just picking your favorite child thing is a horrible question, but um, I'm picking Rajesh Shandy. He's a professor of marketing at London Business School, director of the Wheeler Institute, and just a, a brilliant, brilliant thinker. And he, the impactful idea that he was talking about was something called compressed change. So the idea is that because it's globalization, the global south is experiencing enormous um, economic transformations. And that's coming from important technologies from the global north. And so it's the leapfrog effect, which, which we're all kind of uh, familiar with. And uh, the most obvious example of that would be kind of uh, mobile banking in Africa. Uh, but it's also happening within, within our space. Uh, so you've got communities in uh, communities all over Africa that have never had grid connectivity, but they're now getting distributed solar. So it's, you know, it's they've, so they, they've skipped or compressed a, like basically a century of development there. Now, this is really important because we need to pick up the pace of their transition. Um, We have to compress the transformation to a much, much smaller amount of time. So I love kind of Abergician's idea because it reminds us the global south isn't just the kind of helpless victim of climate change is the way that tends to be uh, kind of shown shown up in the press. Uh, We need their kind of experience and their wisdom. They're the masters of managing change. If you just have a look at COP, like this year's COP, like for me, the superstar was Colombia. Last year it was it was it was me and, Motley and yes, from uh, Barbados. Year before the, the Pacific Islanders, like real leadership is coming from from the south. We need to be focusing in on that. Just just not just being be, being humble and ex- accepting. They have they're at the front line of the energy transition. We need to listen to, from the lesson that they get that they're that they're teaching us.
1: All right, I'm going to do a really big picture question here because we see a lot of talk of the rise of authoritarianism um, here in Europe and around the world. And, um, what I notice is that being, uh, pro-pollution, anti-science, anti-climate solutions, and being an authoritarian, they tend to go together. And I gotta say, I don't really get why. So I'm just throwing this question out there. Anyone wants to take a stab at it because I'm really, I, I just never really understood this. And those of you who have maybe thought about this a little bit more than I have, I'm really nervous to hear what you're saying. Anybody got a thought on this? Oh, many. Okay. (laughs) Many. All right, Mr. Roberts, go go, go go ahead. Yeah, Uh,
2: yeah, I mean, I think uh, you get right down to the roots of it. Progressivism is about solidarity. And uh, reactionary authoritarianism is about the opposite. So, uh, you know, reactionaries, authoritarians tend to have zero sum worldviews. They tend to tend to think in terms of tribes and competition and, and, um, you know, if you win, I lose, that is, that is the, the core of their worldview. It's what everything else in their worldview issues from. And climate change is the paradigmatic problem that we can only solve together, that we can only solve with some solidarity. And we know we all move faster on clean energy when we work together and share knowledge and express some solidarity. So it is not a coincidence that authoritarians um, have a distaste for this. Once you understand the structure of the problem, you are carried into solidarity inevitably, and that's why they spent so long denying the problem and why they're going to why they're about to flip directly to well, it's too late. Let's put up walls and and, and, be a, and be a life raft and try to be the last one standing as everything goes down. You're going to see that green fascism basically really soon. They're going s- to switch directly from denying the problem to denying that there's any possible solutions because the solutions are all about cooperation and working together and short-term sacrifice of your own interests in the name, in the name of long-term benefit for the collective. And that's just anathema to them uh, on a very basic cellular level.
4: All
1: right, Chris. Yeah,
4: yeah so just, just to kind of to build on that, I fully agree with everything you say, David, um, that authoritarianism, in case of you to say, is naturally, it's, it's anti-science, it's anti-elite, and that's the root of the climate movement. Like uh, As David was saying, like, we need coordination um, and regulation, and authoritarianism is, is just the anathema of that. Um, authoritarianism. Authoritarian, oh, <laughs> It needs a, a cartoon enemy, and uh, yeah, climate activism really, like, kind of fits fits that mold nicely because, like, it's born out of universities, progressive politics, nineteen uh, envir- seventies environmentalism. Um, but beyond those kind of like kind of simple simple uh, points, there's an interesting um, crossover between um, climate populism and uh, climate um, up, 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 up opposition. What supporters loved about Trump. Was that he refused to be rational he didn't engage in the, the factual debates, he just made stuff up <laughs> you know, he told terrible jokes, um, he pretended reality didn't really exist, and it's that kind of you know, incoherent energy that that empowers people who felt ignored by mainstream technocrats and like fundamentally, to solve this problem, we need the technocrats like it's, it's, the exact same thing is true in climate and like it's great that we 've made outright denial you know impossible as you as you say david but for those who feel threatened by the transition and have to turn to non-rational kinds of arguments, that's a really natural fit with authoritarianism.
1: Chris, there's, there's about 100,000 fossil fuel bros on LinkedIn who would disagree with you that denialism is no longer possible. I'm, I'm just going <laughs> to let you know. All right. All right. Um, okay. Aren't they all on Twitter, Mike? <laughs> it's X. It's X. X. X yes. Really sorry, yeah. Get it right. Okay. Uh, this is a question to give our, the people who flack for clean tech companies and want to pitch all of you. What are your go-to information sources? Can be other podcasters, can be sector analysts, just round-robin, you know, one to three tops. Bill Nussie, where do you get your information from?
5: You know, I, I look at this through the lens of startups. And so uh, CTVC is a fantastic source. Uh, there's one that's less well-known called Entrepreneurs for Impact by Chris Wedding out of North Carolina. Uh, And then um, my always go-to is Canary. They just uh, do a good job. But obviously, Bloomberg and others uh, are doing fantastic media across the board here. But I'm looking at it from the startup lens, and those are my top two, CTBC and Entrepreneurship Impact.
1: All right, Chris, can you run the timer? Nico, what are your information sources, brother?
0: Well, I follow you on LinkedIn, but I, I will mention LinkedIn is consistently the place where I... Spend the most time and learn the most. Uh, It's how I met Chris Caldwell and started our bromance. Uh, It is how I keep up uh, barely with Mike Casey. I also want to give a hat tip to a recent entrant, and they're not actually new, but heat map news. Yeah, Uh, Nick Laricello, Sarah O'Connor, Randy Siegel, they're just killing it. They brought on Robinson Meyer as their uh, founding executive editor, obviously former climate writer from the Atlantic, and recently, notably, hired Mr. Mike Munsell away from Canary. Um, and then I regularly also turn to Business Insider, believe it or not. It's one of the places that I most uh, bookmark, and recently and lately, uh, Dave, I think David has doing some cr- incredible uh, journalism and continuing to, in Volts. And I'm a subscriber and fan of his uh, Substack, which I think everyone should be.
1: Chris, do you know that you've had two subtle lobbying pushes to get Nico's episode run faster than 2028? (laughs) I just, I'm calling it. All right. So put them on 2027, would you? Marie, top information sources, please. Yeah,
6: I have to agree with Nico wholeheartedly of LinkedIn is a top resource between the groups that you can become a part of and then just the network of, of folks that you can earn a lot of knowledge from not only the articles, but also the the comments and interacting it almost brings articles to life in a sense um and then another area i mean i get my information all curated over to me so i've mentioned this before but setting up google alerts of the areas that you know earn your interest um that's where i get a lot of my information so it comes from everywhere
1: across the web with the with google alerts all right, let's go uh, Dana and then David and Chris. Top information sources, Dana Perkins, besides, oh, besides BNF. I was going to say, I <laughs> feel like
3: this is a trick question because this is what we do. I mean, my shows are all based on the individual analyst research, so... BNEF and Bloomberg are my source, but I will say I was really happy to hear Bill say uh, CTBC because uh, those who are listening may not know that the co-founder, Mark Taylor of CTBC, used to be my co-host on Switched On, and I will say it was originally his idea and he's the one who roped me into this sweet gig.
1: All right, that's pretty badass. All right, Mr. Roberts, your top sources?
2: Yeah, I want to call out Canary too. Um They're, they're pretty new, but they've been just killing it, and I think... Um, Somehow they've already moved into a place where people are taking them for granted and they actually need money and need support. So everybody go give some money to Canary. Um, and then I also same, I would say the exact same for heat map. I would call it heat map too. They come out of the gate so strong. Rob, Rob is, is, is fantastic. And all the reporters they've got there are fantastic. Honestly, between Canary and heat map, I feel like the clean energy journalism landscape just transformed uh, just with those two. And then I would also uh, cite BNEF, of course, um, uh, as a good source of info. And of course, you know, once you have a podcast of any renown at all, every single person with something to tell the world emails you directly. So, So my groaning... My groaning, bleeding inbox uh, sadly remains my main source of of, of information.
1: Uh, Ivan Penn of the New York Times told us uh, at RE Plus last year that he has ninety nine thousand unopened emails <laughs> in his inbox. That ha- that's wow. how many pitches he gets. Uh, ninety nine thousand. So, all right, Chris, your information sources. Yeah, so um, kind of similar. BNF, uh, particularly
4: uh, big fan of, of Axel I Think he's, he does fantastic work, investigative journalists, uh, journalism, top quality stuff. Um, just to not kind of oh, run through oh like canary heat map, but great LinkedIn, great. Uh, Threads, I think, is worth uh, worth a mention. Um, it is for the climate community on Threads is is growing very quickly. It's very and it's very very supportive. very progressive. Um, but my single greatest source of information is from doing the podcast. Like I'm a big, big believer in the contribution of academia and scholarship. I get to sit down with a lot of amazing academics and they just, they just give me so much fantastic information. That's that. That's my, my main source.
1: Okay. Um, we are about out of time. I'm going to close with a round robin here. What is one obscure development your listeners don't know about that you think is going to be big next year? One, one. All right. Has obscure. Okay, one that your listeners don't know about. How's that? There are d- m- many of them don't know about. How's that? Because if you're a million listeners, somebody will know. So let's just let's just figure That. All right, Mr. Johnson, you want to go first?
0: Uh, sure. So that no one else steals it. But AI, uh, as it relates to renewables, I don't cover it enough. So I know my listeners uh, who don't listen to any other podcasts are uh, waiting on me to start covering it.
6: All right, Marie. Come on, Nico. Same answer. AI. (laughs) Talk (coughs) more data collection. As soon as Chris said it at the top, I knew it. AI, AI, AI.
1: So we have two podcasters on the show who actually think their listeners haven't heard of AI yet. That's just. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I think uh, we're going to have to start changing the lineup here because. All right. All right. David. What's, well, what's going to be big next year that most of your listeners don't know about?
2: Nothing is obscure to my listeners because I keep them up to date, of course. But um, right. one <laughs> one trend that I think is gonna is gonna um, it, 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 it is not very publicly visible yet is going to be. Large-scale off-grid renewables, renewable uh, renewable energy that does not have to wait for a grid connection, basically, uh, large-scale renewables that can pump their energy directly into some sort of industrial application or pump their energy directly into a thermal battery, not to, not to return to a theme. Uh, uh, anything that can allow you to build renewable energy without having to wait in that stupid interconnection queue. I think uh, we're going to see a lot of different versions of that. In the next, in the coming years.
1: All right, let's do Chris. Then Dana, last word now, to close it out. Yeah, so, Mike, I would have said biochart, but you did you did that last year, and you
4: also definitely uh, have mentioned it earlier on. So, I'm going to go a little bit more um, more niche. Uh The macro topic I think we'll cover in a bit of bit of depth this year is degrowth. And I know that's a bit of a bit of you know it's it's one of those things. I think it's it's been a fringe idea for decades, but like environmental justice and and, and nature based solutions, it's it's pretty rapidly entering the mainstream. Like a few decades ago, if we were talking about feeding out fossil fuels, you'd just been laughed out of the room. So I think I think I think the same will happen with degrowth. So it's it's a really complicated conversation. I know there's 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 very passionate views on both sides, but it's something we're really looking forward to getting, getting in, into We get the expertise, get the experts on both sides, arguing it out and uh, trying to you know, bust some myths around us and get, 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 get kind of really into the weeds on that one. I think it'll be interesting.
1: I think Chris, when you're done with this, um, the, the flack otherwise known as Bjorn Lomberg has already written his pitch to you to go on your show, to talk about awesome. the evils of degrowth. All right. Dana Perkins.
6: Okay,
3: so we don't have anything in the pipeline for this, but I'm going to put it out there hoping somebody's going to pick it up. I think we're all going to start talking about insurance way more. I think that, you know, who looks at physical risk data really closely, which is really difficult to look at to begin with? Actuarials. They take it really seriously. And so some people may have thought insurance is boring, but I think insurance is actually going to be the most interesting thing because it underpins all of these projects and also all of our lives and whether or not we get to buy a home.
1: Nice. Well, folks... I am really grateful that you've taken the time to come on here. Uh, Dana and Chris for staying late, David for getting up. Do I say early? Is eight o'clock really early? It's all really,
2: that's that's,
1: that's, that's lame. Okay. All right. But anyway, I'm thanking all of you for spanning an eight hour time difference for coming on here. This is the fastest hour of my year. It's really fun to host you all and uh, had to, to my, um, my co-host and producer, Nico Johnson, uh, also my spiritual advisor. So I'm, I'm grateful for you. So thank you very much. And uh, hey, um, happy holidays. And um, we will hope to have you back uh, when we do the mid-year one. We'd like to all have you back on. So anyway, thanks, folks. And have a have a great holiday break.
0: Hey, I appreciate you sticking around for the last hour. Clearly, it means that you don't mind the long-winded nature of podcasters as we expound on the things that we have found interesting throughout the year. I want to say thank you to Mike again for being the host and moderator. I clearly don't mind that I'm the whipping post of long-winded answers for you, Mike. And I appreciate all of the podcasters who took time out of their very busy day, some in the late part of their day and others in the early part of their day, for joining us to share their insights. And I'm most incredibly excited and grateful that you have taken time to be here and you've watched all the way to the end if you're curious how you could dig deeper into the clean energy economy well we've got more than 650 episodes over on mysuncast.com where we do dig in with thought leaders the founders the executives who are building the most noble companies in my opinion uh, in the world today you climate champion and solar warrior can learn from them if you go to mysuncast.com you can listen to all of our back catalog or right in the podcast or youtube channel that you're listening to right now and in the description we have all of that linked just look around i'm sure my friends in the production shop have helped you find it by now i hope that you will find your way back here to suncast again thank you so much for helping make this show what it is i welcome your feedback please please feel free to respond and let us know how we're doing in the comments section or over on LinkedIn or just shoot me an email, Nico at mysuncast.com. Thank you to the sponsors who help make this show possible each and every week. You can learn more about them at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. That's also how you could learn ways that you could partner with us to reach thousands of solar warriors and clean tech climate champions each and every week, just like they do. Remember, you are what you listen to, or in this case, what you watch. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.